game a podcast dedicated to the premier league the a league and more today on the show the woo invested a lot of banter into the battle of the bridge and the last thing we wanted was game stop warren ball has the roar flying to the moon are chelsea's stonks rising and should we stop shorting sheffield i'm colby and i'm joined today on the pod by damo and jesse boys uh big week of football a triple header of the a league yesterday premier league overnight then double header today how are you both feeling, Damo? I I feel like there's been so much football this week that I was trying to rack my brain about what to talk about today, and there was just so many games that happened. I'm struggling big time to keep on top of it all. I know that's kind of like what the aim of the pod is to do, but holy shit, like we've just been bombarded <laughs> with with football um, coming out. We're of just ears. that gif. We're just that gif <laughs> of the the kit flying backwards. That's basically us permanently, isn't it? Um, yeah, it's been overwhelming, but I mean, I guess you just have to just uh, make the best of it and be a professional. <clears throat> oh, that's it. Yeah, that's it. We're, we're um, the the standard of professionalism on this podcast, uh, while not high, um, I, you know, I think we're I think we're probably up there with with Fox Sports now. I mean, they've they've come down <laughs> to meet us. They've come down to meet us. Uh, more on that later, though. Big show coming up today. Uh, the Battle of the Bridge, as we said, um, it's pretty much the most exciting nil all derby we've seen. Uh, plus the roar and the Mariners are turning back the clock atop the A-League ladder. We'll update you on United's title challenge, Sheffield's survival hopes, and which of Liverpool's outfield players are going to play centre-back next week. We've got listener questions, more than a game trivia, plus a little later on we'll be joined by George for a bit of Chelsea corner. Um, boys, but first of all, let's kick off with our moments of the week. Uh, Jesse? Uh, I think for me... Um... I'd have to say the Raw's performance um, was probably one of my moments of the week. Um, just looking across the board, at the, 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 there's been a lot of frustrating uh, sort of tight uh, arm wrestles in the different games across the Premier League and the A-League. Um, but the real, the standout for me was the Raw's performance. Um, my own goal uh, ties in beautifully to this because it's the, um, you know, the subpar commentary. Um, that we uh, we got to enjoy with that you know euphoria. I, I can only imagine it as euphoric because I had to do just that. Imagine it because it wasn't actually that euphoric for me to listen to. So um, my own goal for the week, uh, Colby, jumping ahead is is the appalling commentary for the raw game, and I'm sure we'll cover more of that as we come up some of the listener questions. First of all, Jesse, this is the second week in a row where you've given us a, a two in one moment of the week and own goal. You're like the head and shoulders of um, of this podcast. <laughs> On the boxing, on the on the Boxing Day sale, um, just hitting us, hitting us with the two in one, yeah, um, twofer. And and secondly, Jesse, you did mention um, the the commentary by Fox, specifically Adam Peacock on that Jay O'Shea screamer in the Raw game. Our mate Lee Brock some facts, um, yeah, wanted us to talk about this. He was saying a lot of people mentioned it uh, as a bad call and saying, can you imagine if everyone. If we showed everyone Martin Tyler's post-2014, uh, post-Vardy party commentary, he downplays every single goal. 
Um, what, Jesse, talk talk us through your love of Martin Tyler and and now Adam Peacock. Well, Martin Tyler is an interesting one because I used to think he was fantastic uh, back in the day, and then he's just he's just become worse and worse and worse and worse. And now I I can't stand him. Um, we don't hear much to, uh, too much of him on the on the commentary now. Whereas this game, like there were a few things. So like uh, like when you live overseas and you listen to the Premier League and different leagues, um, when you get the overseas dubbed coverage, you get a lot of um, like high commentary, low crowd noise. And so you can tell that they're obviously commentating from overseas because of that disparity. The same thing happened here. Like I know that they were commentating from somewhere else, which sounded like they were commentating in a room while the game was going on. So the crowd noise from the raw game was really subdued. So they didn't feel like it had much of an atmosphere. If you turn that game over and you listen to the games that we saw tonight and how loud it was at Amy Park, it's just it's just such a different experience. So you can't hear the crowd. That's the first problem. Secondly, the commentary is poor. Like it doesn't have any feeling to it um it's just it doesn't it doesn't go up or down it's just monotonous so you get a double whammy of shitness uh you get low crowd noise and the commentary is underwhelming and what you get is um some really unsatisfied um watches slash listeners i think uh, my favorite part about listening to that adam peacock and robbie slater pairing was uh adam peacock comes up with the weirdest like metaphors and analogies that have nothing to do with football like i think at one stage you said they're running around like they've all had a swig of the tomato sauce at a five-year-old's birthday party and robbie slater just blanks him every single time just doesn't respond <laughs> and, and another thing that irks me about that commentary is why does robbie slater uh have to continue to say winger with the hard G every single time, but he says, Jack, hang it. <laughs> just, just, I just don't get it. <laughs> Needs to go to speedy for some pronunciation advice. <laughs> yeah, right. And, um, and, and Adam Peacock, I think he might be the bizarro Zappers because Zappers just like everything is just so exciting to him. And he, we had him again on comms in the, uh, the woo uh, Melbourne victory game, which we'll talk about later on the, on the show. Um, it was, I'm quietly, I'm quietly enjoying him and Archie as a pairing, but we'll, we'll talk about that, that a bit later on. How does Zappers um, get a nil all, and um, you know Peacock gets a three one? The world's not fair. The world is not fair. Damo, um, let's che- cheer us up a bit, mate. Uh, what, what stood out for you this week? Mate, look, look, it'd be way too easy to pick the low hanging fruit of the Blades proving that they're the original and real United. So uh, I'll go with something different. I'll um. Now, my moment of the week last week, I think if uh, listeners will remember, I went off to Africa with the the witchcraft scandal. So, and and I, I know that Andy really liked that. So uh, we'll keep it a bit um, keep it a bit magical again this week. And uh, it's with Andy's boy Weston McKenney. I don't know if you boys saw this. He scored uh, a goal for Juve against Bologna last week, and he celebrated with a confusing little pose stance and. The reporter asked him after the game what his celebration was all about. And he said, I'm actually a very big Harry Potter fan. I have a tattoo on my hand. So it was a magic spell. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, look, I don't know how long I'm going to be able to keep up this magical moment of the week uh, trend, but we'll see. (laughs) That's good. Oh, magic's in the air. Um, I love it. I'm going to be, we'll, we'll, we'll jot that down, Damo, and um, and see if you can come up with a bit of magic next <laughs> week on the pod. Um, I've, got, I've got a couple of moments of the week, boys. Um, first one is the the Mac Bulls and South Sydney Rabbitohs partnership. So 
couple of days ago, they announced on both of their social medias that the clubs are doing a partnership which will basically let both sets of fans have access to various things like free tickets to games, discounted memberships. And I think between the clubs, they can like share some sponsors. They can share Russell Crowe. But most importantly, cowbells. They can share cowbells because apparently Mm -hmm. Souths have handed out bells before. And, you know, there's a bell, which is a bit of a symbol for the uh, South Sydney Rabbitohs. It's like a symbol of their club's history and struggles. So obvious synergies there, boys. When, um, when will the bell end? Um, but I was going to say, <laughs> I was just going to say, um, uh, Colby, do you think this is the, the biggest wrestling uh, match for, for, you know, fighting over Russell Crowe since Australia, New Zealand? Or um, is, is, you know, it, it, does Russell just love to get himself in these, um, you know, these love fights between two people? I mean, who, who's he going to go to? Is he going to go and uh, watch the McBulls on a Saturday and the Bunnies on a Sunday? I mean, how's he going to spend all his time? Well, I mean, he's going to be getting a discounted membership. So, I mean, the world's his oyster, isn't it? Rich people getting discounts. I mean, it's just business as usual, really. Uh, um, but, yeah, great initiative and, and something uh, other A-League clubs should look into. And we, we were chatting about it on in, in the group chat after this happened and, and surprised that it hasn't happened with other clubs. Damo, I know you were saying that you're very surprised that the Wu and the Western Bulldogs haven't um, struck up this kind of a partnership. Yeah, I mean, it makes perfect sense, right? They're two clubs that are trying to combine all the Western suburbs, areas of Melbourne from, you know, Footscray all the way to Ballarat. And they've both had the same kind of business model. So, I mean, Western United played at Footscray's ground last year at Witten Oval. So it, 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 just, it just would make sense. But, I mean, I guess the two businesses have to come to something and obviously haven't. Yeah, seems a, seems a missed opportunity so far, but maybe uh, other, other clubs will follow in their footsteps. Um, but my next own goal, boys, um, it, it actually goes to Mikey Mifsud and to Soccer Twitter as, as a whole. This is um, this is to do with the Ferenc Pushkas uh, statue that um, lives near the, the MCG in Melbourne. Um, it was defaced um, and subsequently cleaned up. But um, basically, it, it had been sitting there for a number of months. Um, someone had ripped the plaque off it and done a bunch of damage to it. And um, people talking about it on Soccer Twitter and, and, and Mikey Mifsud, basically went to check it out, posted a photo on Twitter confirming that it was still damaged. And then Soccer Twitter basically did the rest with Daniel Garb lending his voice to a group of people who were calling for the statue to be immediately restored. And pretty much that day, um, the Vic Minister for Sport like jumps on onto Twitter and at Daniel Garb and others saying, oh, yeah, I've spoken to the CEO of Melbourne Olympic Parks and they're going to like clean it up ASAP and put put the plaque back on it and, and do all of that other stuff. So, I mean, great result, great result, um, Mikey and, and Garby and, and just all of Soccer Twitter for just getting around this and actually like coming out with something. Boys, even as um, massive football fans we are, before this all happened, could you tell me where the Ferenc Puskas statue was? I actually did know this, but one thing I didn't know was whether there were any other Australian football legends there. I mean, whether there were Australian football legends there, because obviously the, the Ferenc Puskas um, statue was there. It was a gift from the Hungarian government a couple of years ago, um, and it's only one of four in the world. And it's it's obviously there because of his um, time that he spent in Australia managing uh, South Melbourne towards the end of his managerial career. Um, and it's 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 massive, but like yeah, not not too many people know about it, Damo, for sure. And and it's tucked away in a weird little grassy patch in between the MCG and Amy Park and that little park walkway there, and it's it's just so it's and it feels like you have to go looking for it to see it. 
it's nominally in like they I think they call it like the Avenue of Legends or, or some shit and it's got like it's got like all these like um great athletes like a lot of, a lot I guess mostly Aussies from all these other sports like track and field AFL like all this other kind of stuff and then yeah you got poor old Pushkas just like shoved in the in the corner and and that's I mean there's also been a number of people sort of calling for it to be moved out to Lakeside because obviously, you know, it's close to where uh, or it's South Melbourne's grounds where Pushkas managed back in the day. Um, would would you like to see it move back there rather than sort of alongside the other legends from the other codes near the MC? I mean, it makes sense, right? But I think I did read that that then becomes the responsibility of whoever owns the the Albert, Albert Park or Lakeside um, government-wise. They have to pay for the maintenance and, and upkeep of the statue and they probably don't want to do that. So why would they take on that commitment? I think we push Gaskin a bit too much there. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, well, I've got you, Jesse. Own goal for this week. You've, you've given us a two-in-one. Do you have, you have anything else for us? I only do two-in-ones now. Um, <laughs> All right. <laughs> I, I will note that I, I will note though that um, Damo's one from last week, the um, the witchcraft. Uh, I believe it was a mo- moment of the week and an own goal. So two and one's the the new uh, the new way to go, Colb. So you know you just got to get on board. The the pushcars one could have been a, could have been an own goal slash uh, moment sure. of the week as well. So I guess there's bits of everything. But um, Damo, what what have you got for us? Um, my own goal this week was it was the whole situation with uh, the head of the A League, Greg O'Rourke. I mean, we'll talk about the the delay in the uh, MacArthur versus East Sydney game. But, I mean, f- first of all, I, I don't understand why he had to sit down and do like this live TV interview to explain what was going on. I thought that was totally unnecessary. Why couldn't he just get, you know, Bozzer or Harper to relay a statement of his? But, I mean, and that only got him into more trouble. And I think Speedy asked him about the Raw and Adelaide game that's due to kick off as soon as this was meant to be finished. Um, is that going to be delayed? And Greg O'Rourke, I don't have the exact quote, but he said something along the lines of, oh, well, that's a decision up to Fox Sports. You know, he showed no authority at all. You know, it just felt like it was a really weird thing to do in general and really showed his real lack of power or lack of influence that he has as the head of the A-League. It was lethargic and and that's what flowed into the commentary. So it had a bit of a domino effect at that point. Speaking, oh, of the, speaking of the comms boys, um, uh, Fox basically gets my massive own goal this week. Firstly, I guess the, the coverage of the W League, uh, obviously there was big, big tech problems and there has been big tech problems in the past couple of weeks. I, just, that I was just looking for my tuba, tuba behind me. <laughs> <laughs> I promise we're not going to, I promise we're not going to cut to anyone on the, on the YouTube video. Well, I can't promise that, but um, you know, it hasn't happened yet. So good. If, if more than a game can, uh, can not have um, someone, you know, cut in with a tuba in the background then uh why can't fox do it but basically if, if you haven't seen this for whatever reason uh during the adelaide melbourne victory game in the w league the the game inexplicably cut to some like webcam of some bloke sitting there like looking at his laptop with a tuba in the background it looks like he was working we all assumed he was some like contractor or employee of fox working on the broadcast i think twitter tracked him down in the end but just Mind-boggling that these like fails keep coming. Um, there have been other notable ones in the W League in the past couple of weeks, and I know the government has recently tipped like ten mil into women's sport funding. Don't know where that's gone. It certainly that doesn't seem to have gone or impacted on the Fox coverage because, in fact, it's it's sort of at an all-time low in terms of the quality. No, oh, that ten million's 
gone to pay some of the $100 billion debt that Foxtel have got themselves into. Yeah, and I mean, like, they're, they're, like their they're coverage of football in general has uh, this season, or I guess for the past couple of years, just been a real own goal. I mean, you've got the, you've had, we've had, like, even just in recent times, this weekend, we've had low quality VAR. Don't know whether there's been enough cameras. Um, I know uh, a friend of the pod, Joe McCarthy, on Twitter was mentioning uh, the, the sort of lack of cameras and the poor quality VAR. I mean, there's, it's been a, a pretty no frills coverage for the past 18 months. They've dropped all of the shows. You've got pundits doing comms. You've got current players doing sideline reporting on top of like no promo. It's just blatant disregard for the game, really. To, to play the devil, devil's ad, advocate here, I actually kind of like the, you know, you know, yeah, there's limited camera angles and it looks like poor quality when they go to VAR, but I actually quite like prefer that rather than the you know they're drawing the lines and doing all this nonsense from 50 different camera angles and take ages and then still have a contentious decision you know you have one quick look at the only camera angle available if it's not conclusive that it's a clear and obvious error then you go with the on-field decision I actually think that works far better than having all this you know technology around 50 different camera angles and the stupid lines that everyone hates for offsides that is anyway yeah, I don't mind if it's shit quality. Like, yeah, I guess the worst problem that you were sort of alluding to there, Damo, is just like, don't use it unless it's clear and obvious. Like, I think everyone can agree. Like, no matter what what you think about the VAR to begin with, like, I think everyone can agree we don't want uh, millimeter offside calls. Like, leave it with the refs and the and the linos. And if there's something blatantly obvious, then get VAR to check it out. But like, if not, just go with what they say on field. Like, give, give a bit of the power back to the on-field officials. And rumour has it that Muradovic actually also scored during that uh, cut over to the Trevor um, situation. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, just when you think things couldn't get any worse. There's there's talk, there has been talk for the past couple of weeks and, and maybe even months about a, an extension on the broadcast deal um, with Fox that was due to end this season. That might be on the table. Uh, Anthony um, Camerano on Facebook, asks us how, how long does it take uh, for another broadcast company to, to put in um, to, um, you know, get the A-League and its future underway? Uh, you know, would you like to see that or would you like to see the A-League go alone or would you like to see them go go back with Fox for, for another season? I, I Look, I think everyone would prefer to have a company that wants to show the A-League and that wants to promote the A-League and that is passionate to have it. But, I mean, on the other hand, there's no other company that has the equipment and the production teams on hand to do it without outlaying $10, $15, $20 million up front, plus then what they have to pay the A-League. So at the moment, the only viable option that I can see is to continue with Fox Sports until they can go themselves alone. But they have to slowly build that, you know. Fox Sports don't have every game. The A-League produces one or two of their own and then it keeps going and growing and growing. I think that's the only viable way that you can do it at the moment. Well, the A-League was supposed to um, build up that capability during the FFA Cup or the FA Cup or whatever we're calling it now, but obviously... The fuck season, up. The fuck up. Um, it, got, it got canned for uh, COVID reasons this season, but I think it's about to come back. So fingers crossed we can see the A-League uh, developing their own sort of broadcast capabilities during that, like, like what was sort of said was going to happen. Um, and the last thing from Fox, obviously, um, there was the, that tweet they put out. I know you, everyone probably saw this, but um, during a Serie A game during the week, uh, Zlatan and Lukaku had a pretty high-profile bust-up 
on the field and, and Fox were tweeting about it and they were quoting what the players were saying um, and used emojis uh, in the quotes, but they used a monkey emoji to refer to Lukaku's oh, quote. It was just so bad. Unbelievable. I actually so, forgot I mean, about this. I forgot about this, Cole. So I remember commenting about it at the time. And if I'd remembered it, I would have had it as my own goal uh, as well. But yeah, it's just, it was just, I couldn't actually believe what I was saying. Did, what actually ended up happening in the end? Does anybody know uh, well, if the, if the tweet actually, was deleted or? Well, I think it was, it was a Facebook post and it was deleted within about 10 minutes. But obviously, people had taken screenshots of it. So they deleted it and reposted it with just the normal hand over the mouth emoji. You just can't believe how that kind of shit can keep happening. I know they've got to. I know they've got to be pretty quick on the pulse. But come on, guys! Like, it, it yeah. does. It's it's not that hard to to get that stuff right. It's it's a it's a pretty obvious one. Uh, all right. Well, before we before we get on to the match reviews this week, we've got um we've we've got got another listener question or or a discussion question, I guess, that we asked um on Twitter, Facebook, and Reddit. And um this week we sort of themed it around A League derbies because of the the Battle of the Bridge primarily and all, all the build up that was going on about that. And we we've asked um which do you consider the A League's real derbies and which aren't and why. And so I've, I've got on the run sheet sort of. A lot of the responses um, that we've got, we've got a lot of responses to those, which was really good. We had a few sort of overall responses, and I'll, and I'll just read a couple. I'll, I'll read read them out, and we can sort of talk about them as we go. Um, so uh, just overall, uh, Matt Olson on Facebook gave us a pretty comprehensive um, overview. He basically get, just gave us the answer straight away. But he, he says, in terms of comparisons to rivals, rivalries overseas, Sydney, in my opinion, is the one that comes closest because of the classist divide and the unique identity of both clubs. He, say, he says that Melbourne lacks that, no disrespect to City, but the geographical base makes it difficult for the derby to have the, the same effect. And then he goes on to talk about um, rivalries and other sort of headline fixtures, and he, and he, and he mentions Adelaide and, and victory um, as being uh, some rivalries rather than derbies per se. I, I don't think he's ever been to a battle of the bridge, which... Um... <laughs> Gets pretty heated over there, I heard. Um, and uh, I guess, no, I, I think with the the introduction of the woo, that adds a bit more spiciness to the uh, to the to the Melbourne uh, situation. I can see exactly what he means about the city situation. But uh, sporting Casey, um, once they vacuum up all those fans down there, I mean, it's just going to get spicier. And I mean, you know, you've got a three way derby. Um, you know, don't know, don't, don't know if that's safe for work. We're going to have to edit that one out. But um, you do actually have a three-way derby in Melbourne. Uh, we do things differently here. Yeah, maybe the A-League could go full like WWE, get Vince McMahon and have a triple threat derby in Melbourne. <laughs> see how it goes. Get, you know, six goals and see what we can do on the MCG. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pitch that on soccer Twitter. See, see how it goes down. Uh Elksy72 uh, on Twitter had a similar point to Matt Olson, just basically saying that people don't understand that rivalries and derbies are different. Top quality derbies can fall under both, which I thought was a good point. Like the F3 derby and rivalry, both main Melbourne's and Sydney derbies are also rivalries. Uh, and Stevenson on Reddit also made this point as well. And uh, Elksy compared it to the UK where you've got Arsenal and Spurs, which is a derby and a rivalry, whilst Arsenal-West Ham is just a London derby and there's no extra hype but it's simply just presented as a derby and, and everyone moves on with the fixture. Um, and he's sort of saying that's what should happen with the A-League and the newer Sydney and Melbourne clubs. But he's saying right now they're just being pumped up too much. And, and Justin Davies sort of comes in and says, I think there's only one real handful of derbies over the, re- 
and, and an over-reliance on these derbies over actual marketing or real choices for teams has put the A-League in the position it's in. So what do you think about that, boys, the newer derbies sort of just being pumped up too much? 100%. Like it was just – it was – cringeworthy and uncomfortable how much speedy was um, blowing up that as the new derby it was just like for god's sake like what makes derby special is the fact that they're a derby and they're sprinkled into the season uh, and they're not every week and at the moment you know you open up your your television and it's every week as a derby and it's just like i know that sometimes we we, we laugh and and we find it funny and we think it's like you know this is just a league being the a league but it does get to a point where it's just like you want games to be special you want you know, the battle of the bridge to be the battle of the bridge. Um, you know, like you don't want to go overkill. And I feel like we've definitely reached overkill and some. Yeah. I mean, it's it's what they've used as a marketing tool, right? And that's what, um, was it Justin? Justin said, it's the A-League have found no other way to market games than to try and market them as a derby or as a rivalry or some sort of like spicy matchup that everyone doesn't like each other. Because that, you know that try and they try and build hype by doing that when when really what they should be doing is focusing on the players themselves. You know this player does this, this player does this. Come and watch these superstars. Not but, you know try and make a derby out of anything. It's basically Fox Sports has basically made the A League into a reality TV show. It's like you wouldn't believe what Adelaide has said about Melbourne. <laughs> <laughs> Click on page three. <laughs> <laughs> this week Melbourne versus Adelaide. Monkey with hand over eyes emoji. <laughs> oh, jeez. Oh. Uh, a few more comments just on the on what makes a derby overall. Jem Edsel on Twitter um, basically says derbies needed some authenticity or point of difference. And he said he wasn't even at the the Woo game. He's a he's a Melbourne Victory fan and said he wasn't even at the Woo game. If it felt like a derby, I wouldn't have missed it. Um, so that that sort of says something about the sort of feeling of a derby as well. The vibe, I think he was he was sort of talking about. Uh, Luca on uh, on Facebook says derbies need to have hatred or passion and ability to pull a good crowd. And Sal Talk Soccer on Twitter says any intra-city rivalry, but it has to be organic. Yeah, look, I think the organic point is is the biggest part of you know a rivalry or or a big game. And and I think we saw that from the first few seasons of the A League and what they call the original rivalry now the really spicy matchups that happened between Adelaide and Melbourne in that first, you know, four or five seasons, you know, all the cosy and musket drama and the red cards and everything that went on and the grand finals they played in, that was an organic build to a real rivalry that still stands today because the fans still look at those clubs and go, yeah, we don't like you for all that. I think that the um, the organic derby has to involve 100% Wagyu MacArthur beef. Um, and it also like, when I think organic, I think sort of, um, free range as well. So I think that, yeah, if, if you want to go for organic sale, um, make sure that it's a hundred percent Wagyu grass fed. I wouldn't have thought you wanted free range. I thought you would would have wanted to be constrained to a geographical area. You need to fence that shit off and be like, here's where the derby is. You don't want that roaming free. Absolutely. At least cage free. Uh, I thought that, um, uh, there was a user on Reddit uh, with the username placeholder, helpfully, uh, who, who summed it up, who said a derby is a fixture that has some sort of geographical significance between the teams and the winning side must have some area to claim as theirs. And he gives the example or he or she gives the example of Melbourne victory, Melbourne City, but Melbourne victory uh, versus Sydney is not a derby because there's no area to claim. And this leads us into the battle of the bridge. They've set out the area. 
So the Wu official account has started the hashtag Battle of the Bridge, which caught on on social media uh, and then did a bunch of other shameless sort of cringy PR stunts, which all got the desired reaction from the Melbourne Victory fans. They photoshopped uh, the, the Wu's abbreviation onto the Amy Park seats in the lead up. They organised a boat with like a handful of Wu fans like going down the Yarra. They weren't referring to victory by their name during the build-up, which was a, a tactic that the Vuck used to do to Melbourne City. They got Max Rushton to do a video. What did you think of the the build-up to the the Battle of the Bridge, boys? You know what? The, when I first read the the original tweet from uh, Western United, I saw it very early, and I thought, oh. Battle of the Bridge. I can't believe they're trying to push this. This is really cringy. You know, the AFL have already got a Battle of the Bridge. And then I was like, what even bridge are they talking about? And then um, as the week continued to go on, and I just liked this more and more and more. And the Woo just really lent into it. And they knew it was pissing Victory fans off. So they just kept doing it and kept doing it. And I thought it was brilliant in the end because the Woo got exactly what they wanted out of it. Victory fans you know, tried to start shooting them down going, we don't even care about you anyway. You know, it was really getting to them. <laughs> and yeah, I think good. the proof was in the, the proof was in the pudding as well. And we, we will talk about that, the game shortly listeners, but uh, I think the, the proof was in the game. It was um, yeah, a, a cracking game, but um, Jesse, do you have something to, to say or, or thoughts on the battle of the bridge as, as yeah, a derby, just, first of all? Well, I just think that it took on, you know, I, I just would love to see the Western service crew. Um, take on um, the the woo are you woo 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 um, from CSI Miami um, because I, I just feel I just feel like if you want to really trigger the Melbourne Victory fans even more, just start singing that, and I just imagine that you just get some uh, really triggered fans. Maybe we'll get in touch with Soccer Twitter's favorite Gerald to see if he can line that up. <laughs> Would love to hear that. <laughs> uh, a few more of the derbies got a lot of individual love um, when we asked this question. The original rivalry, Melbourne Victory and Adelaide, got a lot of love for this one. And people even calling it the original derby, which which I guess goes to show how people think of it. The, the Dan Andrews derby. derby. Yeah, oh yeah, the Dan Andrews derby. That's not a bad one. <laughs> the distance derby uh, got a lot of love as well, of course. Wellington Phoenix and, and Perth Glory, the biggest distance between two, two rivals in, in world football, I think. Dr. Yobbo on Twitter says the distance derby is the only real derby in the A-League. Dark Troop 76 on Reddit says the distance derby is a banter fixture. And Scotty White on Facebook says the fiercest derby has to be Glory versus Phoenix, which is the distance derby and the worst is F3. The F3 derby, few few people commented on that as well. Jack McDonald on Facebook says the F3 derby is the most pure A-League derby, usually played on a shit time or day where you shouldn't have a derby, i.e. Tuesday night a couple of seasons ago. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> it's, like uh, the Palace, it's like the Palace Brighton derby of the, um, of yeah. the A-League. Well, it's named after a, it's named after a highway, so I think there are a lot of similarities between those two derbies. Uh, Raw, Raw, and Central Coast. Uh, timely that that should get a mention with with the teams uh, once again taking up first and second spot on the ladder. Uh, but Bay Forty Nine Wanderers says the Raw and Central Coasts in its days, and they might be having their days uh, again, boys. What do we think about that? Oh, I think that that was um, more of a Ange Postacoglu versus Graham Arnold different styles, different mentalities, and they were both playing brilliant football. So they were always great games to watch for, I think it was about two or three seasons there, but I wouldn't call it a derby or a rivalry. It was just two good teams going at it. Rest in peace, the the, the Queensland derby with Fury. 
that's what I was about to say. We've got this run sheet of derbies and not where, not once does it mention Brisbane versus Gold Coast or Brisbane versus North Queensland or North Queensland mm-hmm. versus Gold Coast, yep. which were all Queensland derbies. So come at me, soccer Twitter. Yeah, get at us. Where the Queensland Derby fans at? Uh, in terms of derbies that, or, or fixtures that could become derbies, so future derbies, Dan Zing on Facebook says, I think Western versus Adelaide could develop into a derby, hopefully organically. Not, not too sure what he was getting out there, but okay. It's a long drive. I guess Ballarat's a little <laughs> bit close to Adelaide. No, not really. <laughs> I actually, is it possible to get like a, a derby counter in the top corner of this this live broadcast? How many times have we said it? Do you reckon we could at some Derby County fans on Twitter and, and tell them we'd spoke about Derby for half an hour? <laughs> I've been trying to take a drink every time we say the word and I'm just about dry. <laughs> Well, strap yourselves in because we've got a couple more to go. Paul Giannopoulos on Twitter says, victory becoming irrelevant now may mean that Western will become our new biggest rival. And I think he means Sydney and Western United. So I think that was just a bit of a piss take. And then to round us out, the forgotten derby, Dave Saves uh, on Twitter says, the only real derby was the Gold Coast Perth because they played for the Iron Ore Cup. (laughs) That's good. It's very good. (laughs) Surely that's not a rip. Out of Reddit though, that got me a tweet. No, oh, that's a tweet, mate. That's that's Dave Saves uh, of of the Rawcast uh, getting at us on Twitter. M Tag Trivia, we 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 were blessed. You blessed the timeline with with two two trivia questions this week, Damo. Firstly, you one about Andrew Durante becoming part of the illustrious group of players to have made plus four hundred appearances in Australian domestic leagues, and you asked how many others and and who were their names. Firstly, big shout out, Pete uh, Nowakowski, uh, calling in Andy Howe-Stato to help him. But did we get a winner with this one? Um, we did. It came after came after a while, and I'm going to assume that this guy definitely saw the Fox Sports live broadcast about two minutes after I tweeted this. I'm not sure if you guys saw this. So I tweet, I, I did all this research into all how many games people have played. It probably took me about 10 minutes to figure it out. And I sent out a tweet and then I swear, not even two minutes later, a little banner popped up on Fox Sports to say that Durante was the seventh player of all time to play 400 plus games. And then two minutes after that, they actually popped up the list of names, the top six and how many games they played. Oh, so shit. I'm going to assume that this person, you know, credit to them if they didn't see it, but uh, I'm going to assume that they saw that on Fox Sports and came at us with the answer. There's an honesty system with uh, with online trivia, isn't there? You've sort of got to just rely on <laughs> yeah. the, the good graces of people not to go to Google or be watching the Fox broadcast at the same time. And your second question, Damo, was what was the largest sum paid for an Australian domestic transfer fee, which caused a lot of confusion? <laughs> yeah, it did. And uh, we've got a lot of answers here that were primarily Australian clubs selling players to international clubs for big fees. And and there were some good shouts in there if that was the question. I think Hernandez came up. I think he was 800,000, I think, and a whole bunch of A-League players. But I think that if that was the question, then um, I think Zelko Kalac still holds the, the record for an Australian club sale, which was from, I think it was at Sydney United, wasn't he, to Leicester for 1.7 million pounds. Um, and that was in the 90s. So we've still got a long way to go in producing that kind of players. But um, obviously the question was domestic transfer fee, which was from one Australian club to another. We got an answer in the end. I think it actually came from Reddit originally. And then someone on Twitter came in later and it was Ante Milicic went from Sydney United to Sydney Olympic for $110,000. 
in 2002, which ended up turning out to be a really good transfer because he scored 30 goals in 39 games, won the NSL grand final and the minor premiership. So a good deal in the end. Good piece of business. Crazy to think that a club that made the Australian domestic transfer fee two years later was playing in the New South Wales State League. And these two um, usernames, Warner Chapro and the Cinnamon Samurai, look like a couple of blokes that absolutely smashed me on, on online FIFA. <laughs> <laughs> like, they look know, like you, a couple you, of guys that were on uh, Wall Street bets getting getting some money on GameStop this week. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, I bet that. You know, when you get connected on FIFA and you know you're out to play, if I saw that username, I'm like, I might as well just forfeit. It's over. <laughs> What a chop, bro. Oh. <laughs> I'm cooked. Um, you can always get around our More Than The Game trivia or discussion questions posted uh, most weeks on our social media channels. You can um, send in your questions, comments, or hot takes to mtagpodcast at gmail.com or on any of our social media, and we link to all of those in the notes to this podcast. Up next, the Bunnings A-League Match Day 6. is looking at now in this earlier passage of play Archie well there you have it the goal will be overturned in that situation he's Diamante oh my goodness it rattles the crossbar still alive Diamante wins some space Alessandro Diamante it hits the crossbar can you believe it for the second time in a couple of minutes it's still alive Guadalcena how about that from the Italian? Weston, get it clear. Diamante, look at that. He kept his feet. Released Sanchez. Dylan Piraeus is in here. Dylan Piraeus, the hero last week. Dylan Piraeus, can he do it again? Oh, yes, he can. But the offside flag is up. And clears it. And that will be the final moment of the game. What an entertaining tussle between these two sides from Melbourne. In a special day for Andrew Durante. Chances galore for Western United. Alessandro Diamante hitting the woodwork twice. But the full-time score here at Amy Park is Western United nil. Boys, the Battle of the Bridge ended in nil-nil. But holy shit, this was a bloody fun game. Like, just the intensity... Uh, from the word go, I was trying to tweet at the same time as watching this. I couldn't take my eyes off it. I was like half in the group chat, half tweeting, half like actually watching the game. And and usually like watching the game sort of takes a back seat and I'm sort of like just chatting and, and like going on Twitter. But like this, I just couldn't take my eyes off this game. But just just firstly, boys, nil all, um, who, who's happy with the point? Definitely victory. I, I feel like victory got away with that especially in the second half. I mean, they probably could have been up up at half time, given they had the better of the chances and, and the game really started slow for Wu. But that second half, the Wu really came at them. They got the disallowed goal and the Diamante shots and man, and they looked really threatening. And victory, you know, Grant Brebner's probably walking away with that um with a fat filter on and happy that he got a point. Well, it's funny though, isn't it? Because with recency bias, because I think victory fans will really feel like that they could have won because they had that chance near the end. 
Um, but really, that's like the final five minutes or so of the game. I mean, if you go before that, I mean, the second half was just Diamante basically hitting the bar. Um, I just it just was so you know when you see those moments and you and you think okay they could come uh, they could come to rue that later on. Um, that's one thing, but it's also you also feel robbed as an A League fan of those goals not going in and being on the highlights reel for years to come because they were just cracking goal. Uh, they would have been cracking goals, you know. And, and the commentary to match would have been amazing because uh, Zappers was getting erect just uh, watching <laughs> him hit the bar. I can't imagine if it had gone in. <laughs> <laughs> I, I felt Zappers barring up every time he said Diamante. <laughs> you could hear it in his voice. And and I loved how he was really emphasizing Diamante's name because um, Archie was calling him Diamani or Diamani or something the whole game. So it's Zappers, Diamante with the ball. <laughs> <laughs> but you're right, Jesse. Those those two uh, Diamante chances that hit the crossbar both would have been worldies. And let's not forget the celebrations as well. There was fireworks going off in the stadium. Like whoever was on that was just pushing the button straight away. And sure enough, uh, you know they they either hit the crossbar, the uh, the Piraeus, uh goal that was ruled out by like for a millimeter offside had a bit of a premature celebration that people were likening to the Karen Bullet. Uh, you know, false start all those years ago. Maybe it was it was a little bit of a, a smaller deal than that. But uh, the Barisha goal, poor old Bez has to has to wait to um, relieve his A League scoring drought. There was a, I think, was there an offside in the build up to his goal? Yeah, so, Connor Payne. Yeah, yeah. Connor Payne. It was unfortunate because uh, so, I think Connor Payne. It was about two passes before the actual pass to Barisha, which yeah, I mean VAR was used effectively, and that was the right decision. Again, yep. you feel robbed though because the build-up was so nice, and and it was like I was I was blown up in the group chat because I was like, "This is fantastic! What a goal!" And then I was like, "Oh, here we go, here I we mean, go." Just a quick point about that: we're we're often really quick to you know lament VAR and really jump on the mistakes, but that goal there is exactly as VAR was intended. It was quick. It happened within thirty seconds. They picked it up. They called it offside. They disallowed the goal, and they got on with the game. And yeah, and. That was it, you know. It worked effectively, and, and that 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 answers one of the listener questions that we had this week. Demo top fan Andrew Wallace uh, from All Out West, the Woos podcast. So shout out to them. Asked us how many decisions did the VAR get right this weekend, and I think you've just answered that. Well, there's at least one because that that one um, was was definitely definitely a correct decision. By the and VAR, look, and I'm so. and I'm going to say that the Piraeus one was a correct decision by VAR as well because, as we said earlier. The, the on-field decision was from from the linesman there, the assistant referee, to to put their flag up probably prematurely as an assistant referee, and I'm pretty sure their directive is to keep it down unless it's clearly obvious they're offside, and then we'll go back and check. But from the footage, it may have been millimeters, may have been off, may have been on. No one really knows, but it wasn't conclusive enough to turn over the on-field decision. So again, VAR was used effectively for that decision, I think too. I think it was the, the assistant we're... referee who was in the wrong there. If we're working within the rules of the game right now, then I agree. But I do um, agree with this uh, sort of sentiment that we see a lot with the Premier League and the A-League with these decisions where benefit of the doubt to the the attacker, I, I think. I mean, I think that if you saw a consistent benefit of the doubt to the attacker, if it's like a shoulder or something like that, um, we'd all be okay with it. Um, no team would be getting ripped off because it would be a consistent thing. But at the moment... It's a, it's a fingernail and and you, and you don't get the goal. So I think that's where the problem is. And it's not just A-League. It's happening in the Premier League every week as well. So we saw it with Danny Ings last night. So. And we've talked about uh, Zappers and Archie on back on comms together. 
I sort of like their little duo. Um, it, it, it's really growing on me. But one thing I wanted to to point out was yeah, last week we were talking about um, Archie calling Amiento Amaretto in the in the Perth <laughs> Glory game uh, that they commentated together. Uh, and this week Archie clarified that comment and said, I called him um, Amaretto because he scores some delicious goals, um, which was hilarious <laughs> in itself. And then I found out before the, before the pod uh, – Listener Matt Olson got in my DMs and and uh, sent me the picture. Apparently, uh, Zappers organised a bottle of Amaretto to be delivered to Amietto <laughs> in in celebration of this funny comment. And I just, you'd love to see that kind of stuff. Yeah, and I mean, Archie came out with a few clangers uh, this week. He had Ryan Dillon a few times, and um, oh god, <laughs> and and there was a few other ones in there that I probably can't think of now, but. I mean, Archie comes up with clangers that are horrible that are just going to become memes. And and the thing about Archie is he leans into those and he, and he really takes it on the shoulder and just kind of goes, yeah, that's who I am. <laughs> and in addition to those guys, we had, you know, we, we've had a, a bunch of like A-League sideline commentators, like current A-League players. Uh, Lee Broxham Facts was talking up Neil Kilkenny saying he's he stayed in Melbourne between the 22nd of Jan and the 30th to, so he could do the the Woo game or play against the Woo um, and, and victory and then be the sideline commentator for the Woo versus victory. Does he actually miss his kids back in Perth at all? In all seriousness, who, who would you want to be the next sideline commentator? Maybe Diamante? Definitely Diamante because it'd all be in Italian. If you watch his Instagram stories, I think he speaks about half a dozen words of English. <laughs> I just felt like when I heard his commentary the other night, I thought I, I couldn't quite, I can't quite verify this, but I think I saw the paint on the side of my living room stain to actually, you know, rip off and, and peel off. And, and, and that's actually how my face almost felt as well. I had to go moisturize afterwards immediately. Um, I, it was, inc- it was painful to listen to at times for me because it was like, he talked too long. Like there's an art, in these sideline comments because because the, the A-League at the moment is just such fast counterattacks, you've got to get what you're going to say in really fast because if you don't, it's all of a sudden it's in the opposition box and he's still just going on and on. You're like, wrap it up, mate. Wrap it up. It's going to be a, a chance in a sec. I actually really like that Fox Sports have done this with a couple of uh, current active players. Get them a chance to get on TV and talk and, you know, players have got to have something to do after they finish and, and gives them a little bit of exposure to that kind of world. Um, but I think they'll probably pass on Kilkenny bringing him back. They'll probably get well, someone else in next time. But on the other hand, Jamie McLaren, I thought Jamie McLaren was brilliant in, uh, when maybe, he was on TV. Maybe Kilkenny would be a great sideline commentator. He's been playing sideline to Guinness for years. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Oh, well, the victory, the victory uh, down in 11th now, and the woo, meanwhile, uh, ninth. So next up, Brisbane and Adelaide. So the late time slot of yesterday's triple header, Dylan Wenzel Hall, Brace, and Jay O'Shea Longbomb uh, won it for the Raw. Boys, what did you make of the Raw's performance, Damo? In short, I think the Raw are playing the best football of anyone in the league at the moment. Uh, some of the you know passages of play they were putting together last night were just brilliant. Playing out from the back, the interplay in midfield, a quick switch from either side. Dan Zaki looks like an absolute jet and he's just in there n- nipping around everyone. And he's 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 really changed the way the Raw go about their attack and, and Wenzel Hall's just on fire. So in short, the Raw are the form team in the competition at the moment. Could we see the first triple barrel name, um, Dylan Wenzel Hall Messi? 
um, <laughs> because he was just walking on water last night and weaving through the defense. And um, what about the moment when he went and celebrated with his mates uh, in the crowd? Yeah. Love the crowd celebration. Can we coin the name the Morton Bay Messi? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I don't mind that. If he, yeah. if he played, if he played deeper, we could call him the Ipswich Iniesta. But I, I don't mind the Morton Bay Messi. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, he actually played for Western Pride in Ipswich, so that yeah. kind of works better. But he didn't play for Morton Bay, unfortunately. That would have been perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's good. Uh, but yes, his stonks are definitely rising. Um, I think, you know, he's probably one of the form forwards of the league. It'd be between him and Alu Kual at the moment. Or Daggers, Nick D'Agostino. I mean, which which Thick one Nick. of them, Thick Nick, which one of them goes to the Olympics if they happen? Or all I of thought, them? I thought we were calling him Shagostino. Uh, yeah. last week. <laughs> Shaggers, Thick <laughs> but I mean, uh, Dylan's—he's not a tall man either, and um, you know his his awareness in the box and his uh, sort of agility in the box was sort of Cahill-esque, I would say, to sort of get in get in there and win that header at the near post. Yeah, well, we we had another golden uh, metaphor from uh, Adam Peacock, who said he thinks Dylan Wenzel Halls must have been a blue healer on a sheep station in a previous life, the way he gets around the field, and uh, Slater gave him the nothing. <laughs> <laughs> And and just a, just a quick word on on Adelaide before we move on, boys. What, what happened with them? Like they were they were flying last week. Different team away from home at the moment. Um, yeah, they just I don't know if it's the um, uh, away McDonald's kit or the home McDonald's kit. Um, it, maybe you know the, the day shift first, the night shift. Uh, maybe they've got two teams. One team that flips the cheeseburgers during the day, and one that does it at night. But at the moment, there's a clear difference between the away performances and the home performances. And uh, it's tough to go to, to Brisbane and get points. That's always been the case. And particularly now that they've really made Dolphin Stadium very much uh, an even tougher place to go than Suncorp ever was. It's a tough place to get back from too, particularly that late at night. <laughs> yeah, tough place to get to and get home from. <laughs> uh, but it looked, it looked rocking. Uh, it looked fantastic. One team who didn't look fantastic, though, was uh, Mac Bulls. Once they had uh, Mark Milligan sent off for a, a straight red uh, for a last-man tackle pretty early in, in their game. Uh, MacArthur, of course, were hosting Sydney FC. Um, the official bullpen, we're, try- the, we're trying to call this fixture the Battle of Sydney, but the Aussie gaffer <laughs> on Twitter is calling it the Smurf and Turf, which I like a lot. <laughs> That's great. Smurf That's and really good. good. Yep. I actually think that saying that the McBulls weren't very impressive was a bit harsh on them, how they came out, how they battled through the first half. And then they actually came out at the start of the second half. They were all over Sydney FC. And it was, it was the, I think, triple change in the end from Corica that completely changed the game. So credit to him for, for bringing on, um, I think he brought on Neuenhoff, Bom Johan and Patrick Wood in the end who, who got a brace. But I thought, before that, MacArthur were really turning the screws, and 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 LA Rose, I, I thought he was, he thought he was definitely going to score at that point. Forget um, Cavani, I think they're going to call Wood El Matador um, after, after his performance in the weekend. <laughs> yeah, it's great. I have to say, he did a really good job of just being in the right play at the right time, didn't he? So um, that's great positional play. Uh, you got to give it to him. 
Yeah, and I, I guess like to your point, Damo, about like Sydney's dominant performance, like you can only beat the team that's in front of you after all. But I mean, they really made tough work of it in that first half when the, the Mac Bulls got down to 10 men. That you know, it was looking like MacArthur were the more likely of the teams to score. Benyat was bending balls in, uh, and then yeah, at halftime, after halftime, Corica just changed the game, and and Sydney just went up a gear and won it. But I'd hardly say this game is an indicator that that Sydney are gonna piss the league in or, or be dominant because we haven't seen evidence of that so far. And and you know, Sydney, uh, you know, down in fourth, they've they've drawn one and lost one this season already. So. Yeah, they they look like they can still be got at, and so we'll we'll have to see when they come up against quality opposition or at least opposition that are fielding a full side. Yeah, and, and look, you know how uh, like I was just mentioning, Corica made that triple sub. I think that moving forward, Bratton and Caseras are going to struggle to to hold their positions in that side because Bratton and Caseras they look very one dimensional. Like I, I've never been impressed by Caseras. I think he's hugely overrated. Bratton, he does what he does really well, but he doesn't get around the pitch very well. And everyone knows what his weaknesses are now. And he's kind of easy to exploit defensively. And I think they'll struggle um, to keep Neuenhoff and um, Bom Johan out of those out of that midfield too, midfield pairing. But I mean, they've got so many options. Look at the depth in that squad. The um the the two games that were on today, boys, started with the Mariners and Wellington uh, in the um in the afternoon, and I think as this was played, it was it was first versus last, uh, which was really weird, or at least going into the weekend, I think it was. But yeah, it turned out to be a bit of a smash and grab in Gosford by the Knicks, which lifts them off the bottom of the table and prevents the Mariners from retaking that top spot. We had Davila opening the scoring, a nice little header by Alukwal, and then against the run of play against. All of our better judgments, uh, Josh Joshua, Joshua. Uh, got it, got himself uh, the late winner uh, against the run of play. Deserved uh, from Wellington, Jesse? Oh, absolutely. I was so teary-eyed um, oh. after that. The only thing that made me feel justified with this, because obviously uh, Central Coast got robbed there, but we've been in the reverse position so many times. We've been we've played another team off the park as far as possessions concerned. Haven't been clinical enough and lost the game two one countless times. And uh, the fact that we're at the bottom of the table uh, now, even after we actually played relatively well so far, is just testament to the fact that we haven't been able to click. So um, this will do us a world of good, getting a, a last-minute winner. But also from Soterio, like I just did not expect that. Um, you know, you give him 10 easy, easier chances on a plate and he'll, he'll find a way to miss it. But he did a very, very good job ghosting at the back post there. So, um, yeah, and the, the Knicks looked absolutely gassed in the second half um, and they and they didn't look like they could pull a punch. So I certainly didn't expect a goal to come from the midfield and ends up being a, um, a through pass and it was from Rufa to actually win the game. And uh, just a word on our boy, everyone's boy, Damo, Alu Kual, um, had, another, had himself another good game, another goal. What did you make of his performance? Look, I, I, I can't rate, like praise this guy enough, not just for the way he plays football. I think he's been in great form. And I think I made a comment about his his form last week and whether, you know, to when he starts playing poorly, how he's going to react will be telling. But I don't know if you guys saw, he, he did an interview with the Sydney Morning Herald yesterday where he kind of talked a little bit more about, you know, about who he is and who he wants to be as a player and as a personality in the game. And, you know, he seems really down to earth and really humbled and, and, and really keen to, you know, be a point of difference. And I think the quote that everyone's quoting from that interview is, I'm not boring, you know, that he doesn't want to jump on the on the microphone and tell everyone what they want to hear. And 
there's no point in going out there and sounding like the thousand people that came before him. And he said, I'm not politically correct and I don't want to be, but that's who I am. Any quote from him starts with KU, surely. But he, he also, um, I, I, did you see the exchange between him and uh, Matt Simon? Matt Simon just like on his back about taking that header off him in the final uh, minute before they got subbed. And I was like, just leave him alone, Matt. You know, like Matt Simon being a flog to his teammates. I mean, has the man got no limits? He was just blown up because he was at the, at the near post and he took the sort of header that should have been for Matt Simon. But like they went and sat down and like they'd both been subbed at the same time, which more on that in a second, but. What, what, why was he having such a go at him? Like, he's a young player. He's a confidence player. He, he had a good game. He scored a goal. Like, it was just, I, I looked at that and I was like, that's just ridiculous. Like, you got to let it go, big Matt Simon. But on that substitution, I wanted to po- uh, pose it to you guys. Uh, the commentators are very preoccupied about that. And they were saying that that potentially was where the Mariners lost the game, subbing off the two attackers who were clearly the biggest threat to the Knicks. I mean, what did you guys think about that? Well, yeah. did, did, didn't they bring on. Um... Uh, he's got the du- double barrel surname, Dylan Ruiz. Diaz. Uh, Ruiz Cruise. Diaz, that's it. Who is Diaz? <laughs> Who is Diaz? He, um, <laughs> and I mean, he he was really good at the back end of last season. So I, I think it's, it's kind of discrediting him saying that um, take, taking strikers off and bringing him on is is a bad move. He's, he's a young kid who's got a point to prove and he needed to score goals and he wanted to. So I think that's a bit of a discredit to him. Mm. And and let's not forget the 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 win by uh, Wellington was against the run of play as well. Like the game was locked up when they came off, and um, you know it was looking like the Mariners even even after they went off were were the more likely to score. And in the end, the result didn't go their way. So yeah, I don't know. I guess I guess the manager will always get a little bit of flack when when the result doesn't go your way, and and you've made a decision like that. But on the performance, I think that the Mariners were maybe a little bit unlucky not to come away f- uh, with something from this game. Yeah, because on the other hand, if if one of those chances from the Mariners goes in and it's one of the guys that gets subbed on, the manager's being praised as what a genius decision that was to bring them on. Uh, Quick word on Melbourne City and Perth, the game that just got played out before we started recording, before we move on to the Premier League section of the pod boys. Melbourne City 1, Perth 3. Boarding Casey had to trek over to their, their one of their home grounds, Amy Park, to play Perth. Daniel Steins bungled in the opener before J-Mac found himself in the right place at the right time for the equaliser. What about J-Mac, boys? Big, are you expecting a big season ahead for him still? I know we're all you know, we're all sort of expecting him to be in and about the golden boot race. What, what do you think? That was my, my prediction is going to be the golden boot. And, um, yeah, like I just watched chance after chance disappear. Is this the short distance derby, by the way, while Perth is staying here and, and, and Sporting Casey was just coming up the coast? Maybe the short distance derby. But... <laughs> Yeah, I actually think that you talk about smashing grabs. Um, Perth finished really strong, but <laughs> how the hell did they win this game 3-1, lads? You know, it was just like City, just maybe City just ran out of gas and Perth counterpunch, which to be honest is actually really impressive because Perth looked gassed in the second half as well. So uh, I have to, have to say credit to Perth, um, but where was the defending uh, in that third goal for, so um, for we- Perth? Just before we move on from J-Mac, uh, Joshua Watson wants to know, will J-Mac score another 20-plus this season, Damo? Uh, yeah, I think he will. I mean, he's only played four games this season. He's already got two goals and an assist. So as a return from a striker, that's that's what you would expect as a half-decent return. And we all think he's playing poorly, not taking his chances, and he's got a goal every other game. So uh, when he starts taking his chances, he's going to get more than a goal a game, I think. 
And uh, Dane Ingham gave Perth the lead just before half time, which was confirmed by a pretty tight VAR decision before Thick Nick Daggers sealed it with his trademark header in the second half. Speedy said Perth escaped with a miracle three points. Uh, I think we've already pretty much put that to bed. I uh, don't know what he's on about. Um, I mean, you know, they they you know they they got a bit lucky in the second half. City looked like they equally could have been there with it. All right, well, we'll take a quick break and then we'll be back to talk match day 20 of the Premier League. You know what you want when you see the dream. All I want to do is be the best me. All I want to do is be the best me. All I want to do is be the best me. All I want to do is be the best me. Best me, possibly. Upset drunk on a late night. Two shots out from a Drake light Nigga, I remember those days when I used to bump day and night, day and night. Scott said I was on my own Since then I've been on my own Nah, nigga, nah, nigga, I ain't never had a motherfucking handout A bunch of mistakes in my past trying to stick to a plan round But that's life, my nigga, sometimes shit just don't pan out Boys, we've got two Man United results to talk about this week uh, Most recently, Arsenal United nil all uh, And United Sheffield Sheffield 2-1. Damo, let's talk, talk us through the state of United's title challenge. Yeah, look, I mean, we're probably going to t- challenge for the championships next year, so uh, <laughs> it's looking pretty good at the moment. <laughs> but um, no, but I mean, like like I was just saying before, every, you know, Man United fans tend to get carried away, and I think I saw a meme earlier this week that said um, no one, Man United fans, oh, we're going to win the league. Then they lose to Sheffield United. Oh, I can't believe you all said we're going to win the league. <laughs> Classic, exactly what we were saying last week. And also, <laughs> this is the United derby um, demo, so take home the spoils. How good is that? Yeah like, yeah, like I said, Sheffield, the original and real United. And we've just been joined on the pod uh, by George. George, how are you, mate? Yeah, good fellas, good. Just uh, just enjoyed a bit of your A League chat whilst I was uh, waiting in the um, lobby there. So waiting in the green room. Sorry, we waiting we, in the green room. So in, br- in typical on... more than a game style, we just uh, you know we, we took our sweet ass time getting through the the A League segment before we get onto the Premier League. Very good, fellas. Very good. In need of a haircut, but um, you know, hey, you've got the you've got the COVID. You've got the COVID uh, fro going there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been a while. It's been a while. No, we've we've all been there actually. So you know, I can can relate can relate hard to that in Melbourne. So hope hope you hope you're getting through it. United, I think we could probably all say that United are probably not winning the league this season. I'm going to go out on a limb. They're, they're, yeah, they're only three points off the top of the league, but with form like that, if they if they can't beat Arsenal and they're they're lucky to get away with that nil all draw against Arsenal. To be fair, with Noah Bamiang, Saka, Tierney. Um, yeah. It was a pretty, pretty rotated Arsenal team, and and um, that they could have easily lost that game too. So, you know, I don't I don't know uh, how well their title challenge is going, particularly when City are just on another planet with and with a game in hand too. So, did anyone realistically think they were going to challenge for the title? Even even when they were top of the league, I still I just thought it was false. I just thought it was completely false. They're they're complete pretenders. Get get out of yeah, there. Yeah. Well, what- what did I, I read today that Man United haven't beaten a team from, you know, the big six since March uh, 2020, and they've only scored one goal against the big six in that time, and that was a 6-1 loss to Spurs. So they're getting all their points against the teams at the bottom of the league, apart from the team on the very bottom of the league. Apart from Sheffield United, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly right. But they also have an issue with constructing um, 
I guess, a pattern of who scores the goals. I mean, the people that are scoring the goals are opportunist moments. I mean, Pogba against Fulham, the list goes on. They usually rely on somebody, a talisman, just to pull something out of the fire. Um, And that talisman's been Bruno. And, you know, shock horror, uh, a couple of weeks where Bruno has a quiet game week and they don't win. Um, So I don't think it's a coincidence. I think they're very reliant on those big players. Yeah. I think he's still in John Fleck's pocket. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, they, they rely on just moments of individual brilliance as opposed to some sort of, you know, strategic or tactical kind of uh, game plan. So maybe that's an indictment on Solskjaer more than the, the players. But, yeah, even though, yeah, they're, they're, they're collecting points, though. So that's what you've got to do in, in the league at the moment. Just bank as many points as you can because teams are going to lose to random games. So. Uh, that they'll probably make top four the way they're going, but yeah, I can't see them challenging for the title. Yeah, and how and I mean, how long are they going to persist with with guys like Martial when Cavani's so effective off the bench and and, and others are, others are sort of doing the business for them or, or not necessarily as the case may be? But I mean, I saw a lot of a lot of hate directed towards him after these two games. Martial. Well, did yeah. have you guys seen that um, the clip of him against Sheffield United when there's two minutes left in the game and. He's Sheffield United playing the ball around the back and he's just standing there with his hands on his hips while Cavani runs past him, runs back past him, runs back past him again. And Martial, just the sulky French winger in gloves, standing there doing not much at all. Doesn't he's give a wing, shit. Winger. I like he said winger. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Was it he supposed to be the number, number nine? nine but I think, number nine, Damo. Number he's nine. a false nine. He's a false nine. He doesn't, he doesn't exist. Nine. Fraudulent. <laughs> but I think that, I think here especially like the debate between who who would play if they're both fit and you know they're not playing three games a week i think the tide has really turned towards playing Cavani just because of his intelligent movement he's like and he's just a, and he's, he's a better finisher as well like you can he can play to his feet or you can he can score a header as well so yeah i think i think if Cavani's fit and, and you know they're not playing three games a week then he he should start every time and Damo, come on, give us a bit of give us a bit of Blades chat, Blades corner. Tough two, tough two games for the Blades though. You go to Man U and then City straight after. You've got the four, right, Damo. Uh, yeah, I think you just need to follow the Twitter feed from the out more than a game Twitter feed from the morning Sheffield United one. It was just I was on fire all morning. I was, I mean, the game kicked off at seven a.m. here, and I was absolutely buzzing until about midday. I think I had to have a nap. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but. Uh, I thought there was a really funny quote from uh, Chris Wilder. A, a reporter asked him in the lead-up to the Manchester City game, oh, Manchester City are without uh, Sergio Aguero and Kevin De Bruyne. And he said, oh, great. Easy easy three points for us then, I guess. That's it. It's confirmed. We've won. <laughs> Do you want to give him any, any love for the, the Man United game before you you know you talk about whether you think they're going to go down to the championship still or not? No, no. We're still tight, uh, battling for the uh, the championship Trophy next season. Uh, all right, boys. Let's let's move on then. Uh, Spurs Liverpool. Jesse, you and I were at the pub for this game. Um, this this game turned on the early Son goal. It was ruled out by a millimeter offside. So you know you win some, you lose some in terms of the VAR. Uh, Salah also had one ruled out uh, later on for a handball in the build up. Um, but it finished three uh, one to Liverpool. Jesse, what were your thoughts on this one? Oh, the relief. The relief. Um, just to clarify for the listeners, this was seven AM at the pub, so um, this was a um, you know a strong latte and trying to trying to find um, what I thought we were going to have a bricky roll. The place was closed, and uh, Colby came in um, 
huge, huge moment. Went out, got some Macca's uh, breakfast burgers, and uh, we were we were away, uh, absolutely flying. Yeah, you, you couldn't be tempted with a Guinness, boys, or oh, I'm always tempted with a Guinness, George. Um, <laughs> breakfast Guinness. <laughs> Unfortunately, at eight hours of work, I still had to go through. I don't know if I got to see. <laughs> don't have to see my laptop if I got the uh, the Guinness on the lips. But uh, the um, the performance itself, uh, I was just relieved to be honest. Um, uh, Spurs just have such a negative game style, particularly against the bigger teams, and I just really wanted to to see us get the first goal. That was critical. When Song went in, I thought, "Fuck, this is going to be really, really tough." Um, but once we got the first goal, um, it always looked like we were in a much better position. So. Um, yeah, relief at the end of that. And so Firmino grabbed uh, a goal. Uh, Trent got one as well uh, before Hoiberg uh, with a thunder bastard a few minutes Mayo. later. Mayo on that. Mayo <laughs> on the shot. Mayo on the pronunciation. Mayo on the shot. <laughs> uh, Mane then sealed it for Liverpool uh, midway through the second half. Mourinho said after the game that this was a performance totally affected by individual mistakes. Um, boys, what what did you what did you think about um, the the Spurs performance and in particular their their mistakes in this game? Well, all, all talk in this game before the game was about Liverpool's shoddy defence and you know who was playing centre back and and you know would, would would they hold up to the Kane and Son um, front line Spurs? But it was the Spurs defence who who were making all the mistakes and Lloris as well. So yeah, it goes to show goes to show what 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 do people actually know? What do pundits actually know? What do we know? What What are we doing here? <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we're giving our opinion on this podcast. Um, I, I don't think listeners are under any illusion that uh, what we say should be held up to any any standard of punditry whatsoever. There will be no, no reviewing of anyone's takes. Purely, <laughs> purely the, the opinion of the, the hosts involved, which consists mainly of low-hanging fruit and easy takes. Check the uh, tapes. And obviously with Kane, Kane's ankles blowing up as well didn't help. But I thought I thought they were still behind. It, you know when when that actually happened. Surprised that um, Mourinho didn't hit another the better team lost. Yeah, well, yeah, he tried that last time, didn't he? <laughs> he did throw his players under the bus though, as you pointed out, Colby. So um, yeah, they'll be. Um, how do they respond now? We'll find out in the morning, I guess. And with with the Kane injury, boys, are we thinking this is more time for Bale? <laughs> no. No, it's washed. <laughs> <laughs> clearly does not want Bale. Like he just has no interest in. He, he will give him like a, a run out. Like when when the game was on the line, he he didn't. He brought him on with like what ten minutes, five minutes to go. I can't remember what it was, but it was an irrelevant amount of time. Um, I don't think he barely lose. touched the ball as well. Yeah, Gareth Bale, I mean, it, more like more like Gareth Lava. You know, you can't <laughs> touch him. <laughs> the man's lava. You know, give the man some minutes. Oh my goodness! Uh, and and the the Liverpool centre back crisis goes on and on as well. George, you mentioned it was a big, uh, big talking point going into the game, but Matip got injured again. I feel like for the third, fourth, or fifth time this season. Is that a surprise, or yeah. The the transfer window closes midnight tonight UK time, so overnight Australian time. Uh, you know, it's looking highly unlikely that Liverpool are going to get in a, a centre-back to cover. I think they've got zero senior centre-backs now. Um, who, who are we going to see uh, play alongside Nat Phillips or, or someone else back there? Can they give someone else from the outfield a go? Can Alisson play there? They're trying to get Roman well, Seitz. Um, I hear Colbs as a last-minute uh, swap with uh, uh, our boy Arigi might go to Wolves. 
what and is they, it, um, they're going to take size. Is it J- James Pierce, the uh, Liverpool Echo reporter, the one who's you know always in on the rumours, said that the club said it's not an option to not sign anyone on a short-term deal in this window. Mm-hmm. So I think something will get done tonight for a centre half. But um, in, in terms of who starts in the next game, I've been reading that Henderson and Fabinho could start as a centre centre back pairing. They've played more Fabinho. games than anyone else, haven't they? Yeah. <laughs> Fabinho's um, uh, injury is going to knock him out for the next couple of fixtures, so um, it will be Phillips and Henderson. I think it's insane, isn't it? Crazy uh, how Liverpool have managed to hang in there with this sort of patched up back line for as long as they have. They're still sitting in fourth now, just above West Ham with that with uh, the West Ham fixture to come up next. So, uh, yeah. The battle that, for fourth. That's a massive top, the battle top for four, fourth. Top four battle. <laughs> so, and, and, and I think Tommy C will be uh, back on the pod next week, uh, right in time for this one. So, I think. And I'm sure he'll be on Twitter tonight talking about it. He's been he looking forward to this fixture for <laughs> such a long time. So uh, we'll, we'll we'll have all the wash up uh, on that uh, next week on the pod, listeners. Um, but before we go uh, this week, we've we've got George on for a special bit of Chelsea corner. There's been a lot of, a lot of Chelsea news during the week uh, with, the, with the sacking of Frank Lampard <laughs> and the appointment of uh, Thomas Tuchel. George, first of all, what did you what did you make of of the the Frank sacking? Oh, mixed emotions, mixed emotions. Um, so I think, he did, to correct the Frank, he did a pretty good job last year. Like, he took the team to fourth, no hazard, no no transfers, blah, blah, blah. Built a bit of a team spirit and looked like the culture was improving. And then, you know, they, they just handed him all this cash and all these forwards. And he, you know, was, was a little bit out of his depth, I think. Uh, um, I, I think the, the, the sacking was a little bit premature. Like, I would have liked to see him get the season um get the season to to see if he could turn it around because it was difficult like in an experienced manager brought in all these guys um had to sort of tweak the way they were playing and um yeah so i i'll firstly say like it, it was a tough tough gig for someone so inexperienced and they knew who they were hiring so i don't think that should come as a, as a surprise but I, I will say like the last sort of two months probably like the teams looked a bit lost um you couldn't really identify any pattern of play like confidence was everyone was just bereft of any confidence like uh, across the whole squad so it was looking pretty dire so i can i can understand why they brought someone in Tuchel was available experienced manager you know he's known for tactics and and you know being all uh, being able to organize and and you know aside from the, the PSG stuff, which was sort of a little bit out of his hands. So I can understand why they made the decision. Um, and, yeah, it'll be uh, it'll be interesting to see what he does with, with this one. Um, with, you know, he's, he's been in England for five days, so I'm not expecting a, a huge a huge impact early on. But, uh, yeah, good luck. Good luck to him. He's just got to restore Timo's confidence. You know, he should just be in Timo's ear whispering German German com- confidence uh, confidence. Confidence quotes. I don't know, but yeah, it's a yeah, it's been a, a crazy week, I guess. It, it's um, it's probably easy to to ask and and have an opinion on in hindsight. But do you think Frank was clearly given the job under the illusion it was a win-win situation for the next two years with the transfer ban, and and yeah. then when it was lifted and he got given all this money, it was a whole bunch of pressure that he didn't expect and the club didn't expect to put on him. 
Yeah, that's exactly right. Like he, he, you know, they gave him the keys to like a, you know, a Hyundai hatchback, and then, and then when the, uh, when the, when the transfer van, when the transfer van lifted, they just dropped a Porsche in his lap and said, <laughs> and he's like, oh, I don't even, I've never driven this car before. So now he's had to hand it back and catch a kazoo back to the. Uh, back to his <laughs> yeah, house. Yeah. It was kazoo when you needed it. So yeah, it, well, it, well, the circumstances changed, and it, and yeah. And also, you've got to remember there was no preseason. So I think Werner and um, Dyek were in this, came in July and trained with the team. But all the other guys, uh, especially you know the keeper thing as well, was a bit of a disaster. So like, well, they didn't make it easy for him. And um, yeah, and then obviously there were some rumblings in the club that you know he was pushing for Declan Rice. He was he was he was annoyed about the transfer stuff as well. Some of the players were signed, you know, without sort of. That they, they weren't the guys that he wanted to sign, kind of thing. So he was, he was sort of, and he's a pretty proud man, and he and he sort of knows what he wants. So he 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 did sort of stand up for himself a little bit internally, and I think that also worked against him because the the the, the, the sacking happened pretty quickly, and they after a win and after a win at the FA Cup. So like I think I think he did stand up to the board a little bit, uh, and and just in relation to the transfers, and he I think he basically said we. We can't win. We can't win with what we've got right now because we're too shaky at the back. We need we need defensive midfield and defensive reinforcements, and I think that that rips the club off a little bit. So he didn't help himself, but at least at the end of the day, he kind of he made it pretty clear that you know there there was nothing that he could do to 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 stop the rot a little bit because he still needed a few more pieces. Um, notwithstanding, you know, the forward, the attacking talent that they bought. And they did bring Chilwell as well for 50 million and, and a keeper. But, you know, it just wasn't enough. He just didn't have enough time to to restore the confidence and, and get a pat, uh, get a, get a pattern of play that everyone was comfortable with. So, yeah. So if I could just recap, George, um, it's Roman's fault for giving him too much money. <laughs> that's all right that's all right i know they needed a defensive midfielder um if only <laughs> only the, the world's best defensive midfielder could be found uh somewhere be careful um, what you wish for sometimes <laughs> yeah, that's right you don't know I, um, I, I can see what i can see why um it's important to to make sure that the board is accountable though here because it's so easy just to absolutely rip Frank to pieces here. And, and, and that's what obviously most people have done. But I mean, it's like, you know, Chelsea's HR department's got a lot to answer for because they've paid a lot of money and thrown a lot of money around. And of course, the boss is going to be like, I want to return for investment. And it's easy. It's just so easy just to rip the uh, the manager out of that equation and say, oh, he's the problem. But um, you look at the way the team is and the balance of the team and the fact that, that even after all of that, they've still got defensive issues. And you're like, well, maybe, mate, you should have spent some money on the defensive issues before you paid for the Ferraris up front. Um, yeah, they've got to be made accountable as well, I think. I think it also shows that, like like you said, everyone's been quick to take shots at Frank, but if he's not safe at Chelsea, no one is. And this is, really shows that it's, it's, it's a really poison chalice of a job to take the managerial spot at Chelsea when they're giving you that kind of money. It's a game well, of Cluedo over there. You don't want to buy, buy a house in London. <laughs> just to get when you get your third contract. It's a game of Cluedo at Stamford Bridge under the you know, under the bridge with a kitchen knife. I think we've always it known be, this. One thing would have been interesting was was whether the you know if fans were allowed in, at the games uh, the reaction, uh, especially in, in the first few weeks to to how the how the, how the games were going under Frank. 
and and then when the sacking was made and, and people coming in. So yeah, it's a shame that there aren't fans to just to gauge the the response. And but I think in the long run it was probably like, and I know it's only an eighteen month contract and and what have you, but I think we it needed a, it needed an experience an experienced experienced hand. And I don't know why they didn't hire like someone to help Frank as well, who was a bit more experienced than Jody Morris. I know maybe Frank didn't want that or he would have felt undermined, but like if you had someone there to at least help him a little bit because they they that he brought in his own team, you know, and then they, they you know, things sort of snowball uh after the transfer ban was lifted and, you know, he's playing Champions League. He went from coaching Derby to being in Champions League. Like it's too much of a step up really and and, and um for someone so inexperienced. So yeah, it would have been. It would have been. I think, in hindsight, good to get someone there as well, someone a bit more experienced to sort of work with him. Well, Tuchel uh, has been appointed now, um, and we we spoke about uh, potential replacements for Frank last week on the pod, and we did not mention Tuchel, but he's here. Uh, Joshua Watson on Twitter asks. Um, he's following up because he asked us about potential replacements last week, and now he wants to know: uh, George is Tuchel the right replacement for Frank? Well, I, I think he was one of the only people available. So I don't know who, who else was hugely around. There was, you know, Rafa Benitez, Avram Grant was mentioned. Allegri, again, he's never coached. He, yeah, he's never coached in the league. Um, and, and Tuchel was available. He became available and he was willing to do it on an 18-month deal. You know, he knows a few of the players um, from, from Dortmund days and he, he's German as well. So I think that helped. And, you yeah, you know he's 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 got the he's the type of uh, he's got the pedigree to kind of go up against your Klops and your Guardiola's. So I think I think it's a pretty he's got a free hit for six months because we're I don't even know where we are in the ladder now, but you know it's going to be tough to make top four if we if things keep going the way they are. But I still think we're a shout. He's got our thirty five Champions League. No one expects him to win. So I think we just want to see you know a pattern of play, confidence restored, you know some exciting football, and you know. Uh, plug a few of the holes at the back as well. That would be good. Um, but yeah, so I think, I think he's, he's got a free hit for a little bit and then we'll see, because, you know, he's got a history of, um, you know, fighting, fighting with boards and, you know, turning, turning, turning on a club. So yeah, hopefully he's learned his lesson from PSG and he, he, he can toe the line a bit and, and make some changes. And, and cause he's got the tactical now to, as I said, compete with the top level managers. So see how he goes. So, uh, in short, this time next season, we'll be talking about Tuchel losing his job. And and George, what's what's going to happen to the kids? Um, talk us through that. Billy Gilmore looks like he might be getting loaned out. What about James? What about Mason Mount, Tammy, Kurt, Happy Zuma? Where where, where are they all going to go? <laughs> Well, he he said, and he's given youth a go in his in the past. So I think he, he's still a manager that can do that. It's just, um, is he gonna is he gonna rely on them every single week? Probably not. Um, he's gonna he's gonna mix it up a bit, I think. But I, I don't I don't. It's it's hard to answer with he as I said, he's been in London for like five days, and he he basically played the guys he knew he knew their names. Uh, so in the first game, so against Wolves, so there's a game obviously tonight, and he might tweak things, but. Um, I think I think he's going to give the bigger name. He's going to well. I think first, but to that point, he still played Hudson Adoy as wing back in his first game. He played Harvards as a ten, so it's not like he's not completely giving youth a go. Tammy Abraham came on uh, as well on four six. So 
I think he's just going to mix it up a little bit and not go of the whole youth, the whole youth uh, every game. It was uh, interesting to see Jorginho back in the team, and, and apparently he was trying to sign him for PSG, so he'll probably get more game time. Um, Frank might have actually and, done a, a favour because he's played so many of these young players now, um, and they've all got a bit of Premier League experience. So regardless of the results they've had, um, if he needs to bring on a Tammy, well, he's actually played quite a few league games now. Yeah, Tammy's you know Tammy's probably you can't even class him as a, as a youth sort of. Uh, inexperienced because he's been around the Premier League for a few seasons now and, and he mm-hmm. had that season at Swansea and, and Villa in the championship. So yeah, I think I think he will he will still keep I mean Billy Gilmore, if Jorginho is going to play a lot, then Billy Gilmore m- might not get as many games as he might have. But he hasn't played all season anyway and he barely he played like four or five games last year. So I don't think we could rely on Billy Gilmore. He's not going to make a difference. Uh, well did he us. just get Jorginho on to play a bit of Sari ball in that first game, George? Sorry, ball only worked with uh, Eden Hazard voice. I think that was the. Uh... <laughs> I think my favourite part of that first game was um, the Chelsea Twitter account posting, really happily posting a video of a good passing move from a nil-nil draw. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> is, is it too? Is it too late now to say sorry? Um, <laughs> yeah. That's that's where we're at. That's where we're at, boys. I well, think. I mean, he's I think, got yeah. Sari ball on the pitch, and he's got tiny balls on the on the training pitch because that's that's what he's all about. Like having the lads train he's with the mini, up, mini balls. He's mixing it up. <laughs> mixing it up. I, I don't know how how you know how um how sort of tackle Frank's training sessions were. So maybe you know he was using full size balls. So I think Frank was probably <laughs> using the big balls, the beach <laughs> balls, training, and then the, then the boys couldn't hit them. Couldn't hit them in the, in training. <laughs> confidence, real confidence. real game. He's, he's just, couldn't he, even he, stop the beach balls. <laughs> he's removed all the goalkeepers so Timo can just get his confidence back and just just get just hit the target. So there you he's go. got to hit the target first. We've got at least uh, five months of of Tuchel to look forward to, so we'll be covering it on the pod, and we'll of course have have George back on uh, throughout the throughout this uh, Tuchel journey to uh, to talk us through it. That's going to do it for us today on the pod, boys. And thanks, everybody, for listening and joining us on the pod. Um, If you've enjoyed the show, we'd love it if you could give us a review on Apple Podcasts or even just a shout-out. Get get at us on on Twitter or, or Facebook and get around us. Um, that that really, um, really helps us uh, get the word out there about the pod. Um, you can also follow us on Twitter and Facebook or subscribe to our YouTube channel um, where we're recording this podcast live today. Um, and that normally comes out a day or so before the pod drops into your feed. But links for all of those will be in the show notes. Next week, match day 21 of the Premier League and A-League match week seven. Until then, enjoy the football. 